All right, folks, Adidas. Adidas is pushing the boundaries once again in golf footwear. And if you've been counting, I don't I haven't been counting. It's a lot of times. But they're doing it again, so whatever many times it's been, it's at one. Uh, so you need to check this out. It's called the Code Chaos, all capitals. The footwear team let me know that this shoe was meant to break down traditional stereotypes and make a statement that there doesn't have to be one look for the sport when it comes to golf footwear. It's it's athletic and bold from a style standpoint, but this shoe is seriously packed with technology. It's spikeless, but beyond just being tested with guys like DJ and Xander, they did heat map studies. Heat map. That means they know where you are right now. They literally know, and watch, I'm telling you, you're going to get an ad for Adidas footwear in your feed. I'm telling you, and I just, it's not me. I don't know if it's them. It's probably Xander, not DJ. Xander's got an X in his name, so he's a little more sinister. Even though I would not, I would probably feel more likely that DJ would really, he could he could do some damage with the club um, to my face. So to see how players shift their weight, they use this heat mapping technology to, to see where they, they shift their weight, but also where you are physically at this current moment uh, throughout the swing. So anyway, with all that info, they created a new traction system called Twist Grip. Twist grip. That's spelled the way it sounds. Anyway, so the players get the grip they need exactly where they need it, and this is an ad lib, and when they need it. That's I just added that. Uh, it's waterproof. Waterproof is key. Let's get let's get honest, folks. If you want a waterproof shoe, unless you live in the desert, you can wear sandals or moccasins. But for everybody else, you need the waterproof shoe. So hit up the code chaos. It's waterproof, lightweight, and obviously has the boost cushioning which we all love. There's even a high-top boa version, which I'm not sure I'm man enough to rock, but John Rahm is. But he's also he's very, very good at golf. We can all agree. These things are next level, so get yourself a pair. Head over to adidas.com slash code chaos. Spelled the way it sounds. Although the C-H in chaos is sounds more like a K. So it's C-O-D-E-C-H-A-O-S. And shop the styles and follow Adidas Golf on Instagram and Twitter for all the latest news from Le Trois Stripes. That's three stripes, folks. All right, one more ad read. I'll probably do another one after this. Jones Sports Go, folks. If you want the bag that I rock, it's the Jones Sports Bag. They got the Player Series. They got the original. What are the other? What's the other models they got? The stand bags? We're pulling it up in the studio, folks. But here's the thing. Jones if you haven't seen the video on YouTube yet, please check it out. We went up there, visited with them. We designed a lot of cool stuff. We're going to be designing more stuff. We have two bags on the Random Golf Club site that have the Random Golf Club script on it. The Utility Trooper is the is the is the info I'm getting of the name of the other bag that I like. It's got the stand. It's got the stand bag. I also I I mostly rock the original, which is based on a design from the 70s. Uh, was his name Jones? His name was Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones and me. Now that guy got in a lot of trouble for some, what's that? Taxi cabs. But the but the guy who sang the song, Mr. Jones, he's no, he's gotten a lot of trouble. Don't want to talk about him. But Mr. Jones, not that the song is written about, was a taxi driver in New York. He made a golf bag out of the upholstery in his taxi, and that's where Jones has come from. So they're obviously the comfortable shoulder strap on the original series is what I love. Got a lot of cargo space, and you got three pockets to hold all your clubs, and you look basically like a badass. You're you're you're. If you're if you don't have a if you don't have a significant other at, at the start of the round, you will have one at the end. Am I right? Watch out! It's, it's you know that's the studio here says, get a Jones bag. I'm not going to say get laid, but basically that's what's going to happen. I mean, I, I didn't say it, 
You said it. You heard it. I didn't say it. Jones Sports Club, everybody. Love them. Tailor-made, folks. I got to tell you, the first golf clubs that ever went in my little old hands were tailor-made burner oversize. They had some crusty old grips that I redid myself at risk of my own fingertips with the razor, and I and I got high because I don't know if you've ever re-gripped your clubs, but you, you, you become an, an inhalant addict. Because you're putting like really noxious stuff. Don't don't grip your own clubs unless you really want to. Anyway, mad respect. Give me a fist bump whenever I see you. I grip my own clubs. I put the grips on them myself. I say, how much did you say? I mean, you could save money. You save money because I think you put them on. It's like twenty bucks each, and you and you buy the grips yourself. It's like eight bucks. By the way, regripping fourteen clubs. I mean, you, that's like a lot. Go buy TaylorMades instead. They come with grips. My favorite TaylorMade edition. Now, obviously, the Sim Max I'm playing is a monster club. One of the many things Tiger Woods have an eye in common is playing the Sim. But also, I really I kind of love the wedges. The raw-faced wedges, MG. I both love the high toe in matte black. I also have a matte black shaft. I know you didn't ask, but I went ahead and told you. Anyway, TaylorMade, my favorite thing about TaylorMade beyond the incredibly performing equipment is the people that make this company up. The, the band of the band of brothers down here, the band of sisters, the family in Carlsbad really, really gets behind what we do. And that means it's important for you to get behind what they do. So go support TaylorMade, everybody, and hit them straight or just don't just just hit them with TaylorMades, though. Just get some just stop messing around with all the others. Hit them straight with TaylorMade, but just hit TaylorMade at least. I mean, if you're not I mean, just just go. I mean, what are you doing? Just pause the pod. Go on TaylorMade. What's their website? I don't even, they don't even need a website. Just go find TaylorMade ASAP. There should be, what? What I play? I play the, okay, Studio is asking me to play, I play the P760s, four through pitch. Then I've got the milled grind raw face, 50, 54, and 58. And then I rock, I'm in between the Gapper and the Sim Hybrid right now. I play the two Gapper. Uh, I've got a steel shaft at six and a half Project X in that one, as with all the irons. And then on the driver, I have the uh, Sim Max with a nine degree. I'm still working on getting my numbers on that. I don't really know. I got the ten and a half and the nine. We're gonna, gonna do a little experimentation. Maybe honestly, you know what? Whatever one I don't use, how about it's yours? How about that? We're gonna. I don't know how we're gonna manage this. Head over to the Instagram account. Get ready for the old giveaway of the uh, driver that I can't hit. <laughs> anyway, TaylorMade's the family, folks. Welcome to the Eric Andrews Lang Show, everybody. Today, very special guest, uh, my friend and my colleague, Paul Sutcliffe. Paul, uh, you are many things. You are One of them is you're about 5,500 miles away in the uh, jewel of a town known as St. Andrews. You, uh, you have every golfer's dream job, which is you work for the RNA, and you have a long history of working in sports media. Um, when... I, I assume you probably have two answers when someone asks you what they do. When, when a when a golfer asks you what they do, you probably play down the fact that you work for the RNA. Or what what what's your what's your answer for that? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I always just say I run the content for the Open, um, which is essentially what I do. But uh, it's obviously there's obviously a little more to it than that. But yeah, I'm in charge of a small team that that runs the output for the pre- professional championships for the RNA. So that's 
all the open social media website, all the video content that we produce. And then from this year, we've also taken on the uh, AIG Women's British Open uh, into our portfolio, which is really exciting. Um, and looking forward to getting the team sort of stuck into um, creating content for those, for those channels as well. So in a nutshell, that's it. Um, yeah, it is a little bit of a dream job, to be honest. Yeah, I moved, I moved from Manchester, as the accent probably gives me away that I'm not Scottish. But um, yeah, I moved up from Manchester uh, two and a half years ago to take a job at the RNA. Um, and it's been, uh, it's been fantastic, yeah. And uh, here we are. And when you, and, and folks, I, I just want to paint a couple different photos of, of Paul here. So well, the, the one that I'm seeing right now is Royal Port Rush, um, the media tent. It's a massive tent. And essentially, um, you know, there's, there's hundreds of media members from all over the world. Every continent, maybe with the exception of Antarctica, is there to cover this, you know, incredible, incredible sporting event. The first major which, um, you know, we're going to get into a project that we collaborated on, uh, a video that is, is available. If it's not available right now, it's available in like one day. I don't know when the, the podcast and the, the delivery date is, but it's, it's basically go there now. And um, it's, uh, it's but, but there's this room in the back where if you ever look at anything from the open social handles on the website, it, it, that's all basically coming from Paul and his team of also guys who have dream jobs and girls who have dream jobs. And it really it was kind of a, it was a, it was a teaching experience for me to see how you guys do it all. And, and, you know, we, we made some videos at Port Rush, you know, we did a, a little, I, I made some videos on my phone and then I would bring them into the tent and I would say, okay, you know, by the way, tent is a, tent is misleading. This is a military shed. That's like it's a village. Football. It's a village. It's a village. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a ton of desks and, you know, it's probably a team of 20, 25, all making content. Yeah, we have, we have 20, yeah, about 25 in, in that room, but then that doesn't incorporate video and TV. So there's probably another 15 who are in a port cabin out back who are doing video and TV, um, stuff on site. At one point, Paul described his year to me as um, as it has two parts. One part is sort of looking back on what just happened, for for example, in Shane Lowry's case at Portrush, and then and then it immediately switches into getting ready for what's next. And that's got to be a very you know working in golf. Actually, a lot of people um, I know in the media space. You, you, there's an element of uh, redundancy um, in in normal sort of PGA Tour scheduling because it's like okay, Kapalua next is, um, you know, uh, ooh, my I don't know my PGA Tour schedule clearly, but you know, next is Farmers, next is Waste Management, next is Genesis, next is Pebble. I got those out of order, but your world is wonderfully diverse with the selection of courses that are played. You've got a history that no other tournament has. You've got winners, you've got the youngest winners, you've got a family of winners, you've got, you know, people traveling from all over the world to compete and spectate. The stories that you're able to pull out of this event, I would imagine it's 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 probably like, you know, um painting with gold paint. I mean it's 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 a very 
I mean, it is hard, obviously, and you have deadlines and you have, you know, you know, metrics and numbers and things you need to do. But on some level, it's like it, it's not within the dream job category. It's also like you've got the easiest story to tell the story of the oldest major, the the story of, you know, uh, Scottish beginnings. Yeah, well, we like to say we have the greatest stories in golf. And I think, you know, I'm incredibly, incredibly privileged to, to work for a brand like the open and I call it a brand loosely, but it's a, you know, it's, it's been running and well, well, you know, we'll move on to talking about the film, but some of the things we reflect in the film is really, um, it almost brings it home to you how long this championship's running. I think one of the lines is, um, 75 years after the open had been running, the TV was invented, like these, (laughs) these, these, these sorts of things that you don't really comprehend when you've been working there for two and a half years, but, yeah, it's got, we've got an incredible history, an incredible amount of stories. And I think we're really just scratching the surface on the stories we've, we've told in depth so far. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously we've, we've got an incredible archive as, as you and the team know, Eric, cause you guys obviously were doing a deep dive into it as part of the project, but, um, yeah, we're, we're incredibly lucky, incredibly lucky on your point about the, the once a year, um, tournament is, 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 is an odd mindset. It's like, there's, there's, there's not that many sporting events that have the same, um, same setup that we do where we're an event that moves every year, but we're a once a year event. Uh, and that has challenges obviously with, with, you know, for, for the guys who stage the open, there's immense challenges with that. And they do an incredible job every year of, of you know, building a small town in little seaside towns in the UK. But from a from a content point of view, it actually is is gr- a great thing that we move around because every year we have new stories to tell, new people to meet at the courses, people who who make the open happen, um, and and obviously then the championship itself every year seems to throw up um, incredible drama and and great great stories. So so yeah, it's 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 a it's a fantastic event to work on, um, and like I say, I've only I've only done two opens myself uh, sadly we won't get to do one this year but um even the two that i've done we did carnoustie was just phenomenal um with tiger being back in the mix the first you know well one of the first times he was back in the mixed mix and then obviously last year at shape with shane lowry at paul rush some scenes that i've not seen before in golf really certainly not in, in my time watching golf so so yeah it's been it's been uh, it's been incredible um I want to I want to uh, take one minute and do a PSA. You're drinking out of a Masters cup. You're uh, you're, you're not meant you're... to mention that. We specifically <laughs> told this wasn't going to be on video. That's why I've got the Masters. Cup. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I love the Masters too. You love the Masters, but you're you're part of a community of a, of governing bodies of golf: the USGA, the RNA, the PGA, uh, European Tour, PGA Tour. So you know, it, those of you listening, to, to give you a quick breakdown of kind of how things work, you know, um, not every tournament is PGA Tour, and so what what I'm really getting at though is, and you've even got WGC, but they're not really part of the rule making body of golf. What I'm what I'm point what I'm about to point out is that we're talking about the Open. We're not talking about the British Open, and I just feel like I need to do my service as a world citizen, much less an American, 
that there is no such thing as the British Open. True or false, Paul? Uh, that is true, Eric, and thank you for that. Um, no, it, it's not something <laughs> we like to ram down people's throats, and, and I guess we guess what we get why some of the American audience and media might call it the British Open. And I think at a time in our past, we may have also referred to ourselves as the British Open. But I think we can legitimately stand up now that we are the Open and, and you know, we are golf's original major. And I sound like I'm reading from a brand playbook here. But well, you wrote you know, it. I, <laughs> I did, I, no, I didn't write it. But um, yeah, you know, it is the Open. I mean, and, and certainly from, from, from my perspective, growing up in the UK, um, the Open is what got me into golf. It's what I assume most of the British public is their entry route into golf if it's not through family and playing. Um, and, you know, it's, it's like I say, it's just a special, it's just a special, special um, brand. And while I know that some, some of the US audience might call the US Open the Open, uh, that, you know, they might refer to that as the Open and that's fine. But uh, we we over here will always refer to it as the Open. Yeah. So so there are a couple things in golf that make my hair on the back of my neck stand up. One of them is the term golfing. I don't. I'm not a fan. Um, but that's not really. We're, we can talk about that another time. The other is the British Open because it's just it just denotes that you're not a world golf citizen. The the Open was first. It was called the Open originally. It's called the Open now. If you want to talk about the event that the USGA runs, that's called the US Open. And I think that we're all agreed on that as far as governing bodies, as, as far as anyone who um, you know works for Augusta National and promotes and, and creates content around the Masters is not going to call it, am I right, Paul? They're not going to say, you're going to go to the British, you're going to do the British Open, they're going to say the Open. I mean, I mean, everyone at the top level, I, I'm just trying to inform the people listening who don't already have a job at a governing body in golf or a media. I mean, even the media, they're all, they're all agreed. This isn't, I'm not trying to say this is the fifth major and it's the players. I'm saying this is what it is and just want to make sure that the people out there have that. If, if nothing else, they can at least call it the Open at Royal St. George's in 2021. Absolutely. Well, look, we'd be delighted if everybody referred to us as the Open, uh, good, and, good. and that's as much as I'm going to say on it. <laughs> so we we I, we we're going to get into th this. This podcast is sort of aimed at. This was something that I wanted to do to talk about this incredible opportunity that you bestowed on me, Paul, which was to make a film, and it's a it's something perhaps something the the most I'm proud of so far to date in. The, the merging of golf and filmmaking. But before we get into the film, I'd like to talk a little bit about the origin of kind of how we met. I, I know that we've talked a little bit about it. We were over there, um, it was about a year and a half ago now for the unofficial, official unofficial Scotland uh, vlogs. And um, Jamie Darling had a setup playing 26 courses in 16 days. If you haven't seen it, it's on our YouTube channel. We've got um, the pinnacle of that, series is Stuart playing the old course with his father. Um, Paul, you, uh, we were early on in the trip relatively, maybe, maybe just before halfway through and we had posted our schedule and I had said to Jamie and, and the powers that be with um, Scottish tourism and Scottish golf that we wanted to invite as many people to play with us as possible locally. And I'm not, I, I don't, y y y all I remember is there was messages coming in and people saying, I live near um, Troon, you know, 
do you still have room? And then I would say, yes, come join us. We're playing at 9 a.m. And then we would end up with some friends. With Western Gales, we somehow illegally played with a fivesome. I don't know how they let that slide. <laughs> fivesomes are not popular in Scotland. Everything else is okay. Dogs, uh, Paul's dog, Buddy. Has, I've played multiple rounds with Buddy. Um, what type of ball? Buddy's a lab? No, he's an English Springer Spaniel. Ah, Springer, oh, of course. That, be, that explains be, the jumping. He'd be really upset that you didn't know that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bad with a uh, dog gender and dog breed. Um, I'm good with dogs though. So we ended up meeting um, at King's Barnes. And uh, I think, can you tell me a little about where you were at at that point? I mean, I know I was on the golf course and, you know, Stuart had just joined us and I know you came and you had um, sandwiches and, and it was just, well, it and, wasn't, wasn't me. Let's be clear. I didn't bring you a sandwich. My my, my girlfriend brought out sandwiches for the group, and and for some for somehow I I ended up without one. Um, I think I think how how I remember the story was that um, I was obviously following your your travels around Scotland with interest um, for several reasons. Obviously, I'd been watching your content for a while, and and obviously, I think adventuring golf was my route into into watching your content, and and really enjoyed what you were doing, and. I was not long in the job here and I was thinking about um, content opportunities for us and how we could do some things that were a little bit different uh, and, and really enjoyed the way you were creating golf content because it was so different to what anyone else was doing at the time. Um, so I, I, I sent you, a, when, when you were coming around Scotland, I sent you a message on Instagram and, and said basically, you know, you know, I work at the RNA, I'd like to meet up for a coffee to chat about some ideas, blah, blah, blah. And you just said, oh, come along to... I'm going to be leaving our King's Barns on this day, come along and, and we can have a chat. And I don't think you really registered that I'd actually said that I was, I was there in a semi-work capacity, I suppose. Um, no, no clue. I, I do. I, I remember finding out, I remember, I think you told me later again and I was like, Oh, cool. Like that's, I love the, I love the open. I probably called it the British open at the time. <laughs> you, you, the hair on your neck probably stood up. Yeah. So I turned up at King's Barnes anyway to meet you and and I think I walked nine holes or so. And then at the time I was living in Crail, which is just around the corner, and, and my my girlfriend turned up with the cheesy toast shack toasties for, for everyone in the group, um, which which I think everyone was grateful for after a, a very long round of golf. Um and and yeah, I think we just we just chatted about your content and and a few ideas and uh, and and really I was just trying to it, it, without sounding uh, crass I was just trying to see if you were really like what you appeared on camera because <laughs> you, you know like occasionally you can you can see people online or you know uh, talent in inverted commas um, who who appear one way and uh, are different in real life but obviously you know we 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 became friends from it and then started talking about about the, the the project that we we would go on to work work on, and that was really it. And and I was also there when when the Stuart and his dad moment happened, which was which was quite quite a privilege. <laughs> um, and it was it's weird now looking back at that and seeing it and seeing the reactions to it and how everyone's enjoyed it. Where 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 were you in that moment? You were were you standing outside of the RNA clubhouse? Pretty much, yeah. I was so I was on to the left, so. And you guys, you guys were teeing off, and I just went down to watch you guys tee off. Um, oh, right, and it was and a brief hello you, as we were on the tee. Yeah, well, you'd said, to, we were in the Dunvegan, I don't know if you remember, and you'd said to me, oh, we're going to surprise Stuart 
with yeah. um, Stuart. No, now knows he's playing the old course, but um, we're going to surprise him. His dad's here, and I was like, oh, "That's cool." So, yeah. So I just came down and, and watched it. Watched it all unfold. It was great, um, and, and great, you know, great content. Well, proper, proper emotive content. Yeah, that's um, uh, which, which you don't get those moments very organically very often, I suppose. Which, yeah, I've I've actually if you, if you're listening to the podcast and you haven't seen that video, I, I'm assuming you have. But if you haven't seen, uh, we surprised Stuart twice at the old course. Please put it on your list. If if you like the pod, you'd love that video. It, it's um, I've sent that video to some professional golfers, <laughs> and they've all responded just with like I've sent it over text. Like I just text them the the video. I say watch watch just airplay it just watch the whole thing just just do me a solid and they've all responded with just one emoji which is just a, a tearing because <laughs> if anyone loves golf that's why you got into it that's and then i'm sure that you know that story that we told there with Stuart and his father is echoed with old and young tom you know it goes back it the 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 the, the soil of St. Andrews is made up of those moments, whether they're competitive, personal, whatever it is, the community really surrounds this place. And we don't need to get too far into St. Andrews. I mean, I'm so jealous that you're there right now. I just, it would be, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like it'd be a great place to just hunker down and just walk. Yeah, we, we, we walk the golf courses, um, well, you know, I'm, I'm still working from home, but, but Charlotte walks the golf courses every day with the dog. And then, you know, probably three times a week, I get down there. It's about, it's about 30 minutes for us to walk to the courses. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty special. And, and it's, it's, it's a bit of a strange atmosphere because this is the time of year when things would be starting to kick off. You know, the, the visitors would start, would be starting to arrive um, and the place would be starting to get that golf buzz that, you know, unless you've been here, you, you probably can't appreciate what that's like but um no it, it's, we're very lucky being by the sea and you know in green spaces during this difficult time is is such a blessing um i can't you know i can't imagine what it would be like being in a you know in a city at this point or you know living in a built-up area it, it, i'm sure it would make it much more difficult so you know, we we're obviously very lucky to to be here and living in St. Andrews in general is, um, you know, I, I park in the little car park next to the 17th green every day and walk, and then I walk down through the snicket next to the jigger in and then walk up the 17th, past the 17th green and up the road to the office. And, and most days you're just on your phone or you've got, you've got podcasting or headphones on or what have you. But some days you'll just get a moment where you'll see someone having a photo on the bridge or tourists you know getting on on the 18th tee just having a moment and you realize that people are there on a, a once in a lifetime trip and that's when it hits home that you're in a really special place and and it's it's really easy to to lose sight of that when you're there every day but just occasionally you'll get moments that that bring it home what is a snicket oh a snicket is a gap between two bushes <laughs> <laughs> Snicket is the Sorry, gap is that, between is that two bushes. <laughs> <laughs> now I know what a snicket is. All right, I'm going to catch you now. We got let. Give me a second. All right, I'm about to do an ad read for Vice Golf. I don't even have a read, so this is a this is an ad lib. This is an ad libbed lib read. Anyway, Vice Golf, you all know I love the brand. 
Uh, they make a great golf ball, and there are things that I would tell you in person about the golf ball that I can't tell you in a public forum. But basically, the golf ball is amazing. Technically speaking, on test, it performs as good or better than what we call, quote, the best golf ball on tour. Now, the Vice Golf Ball also has one cool thing, which is that it's cool. Obviously, the scripting is really sweet. But beyond that, as another cool thing, I'm going to keep pulling cool things out of this ball. The second cool thing is that you can't get it in a pro shop. So go online, go to vicegolf.com, and get your slick balls. They've got all different types. They've got the Tour. They've got the Drive. They've got the Pro. They've got the Pro Plus. They've got different colors. And you can also personalize less than uh, you can personalize. I don't know what number you can personalize, but you can personalize them, whereas other brands don't let you personalize them except for once a year. So check out vicegolf.com. Get yourself some smooth and cool balls for the course, that is. Anyway, y'all, see you in the showers until the next ad read. Precision Pro, folks. I'm going to do an ad-libbed Precision Pro read. Here's the thing about Precision Pro. They're made by some great guys in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's got great design. And coming out soon, you're going to get a very special colorway of the NX9 Pro with slope. Is that right? That's it. I got I got a thumbs up in the studio here that that's the exact rangefinder. Not only do you get free battery replacement for life, but you get slope and you get laser. I mean, it is a laser, laser sharp accuracy, and you get I don't know. You just get to be part of something cool that I'm down with. So Precision Pro is great. Obviously, the family there in Cincinnati makes some good. We did an RGC there. If you haven't seen it, check out the video on the YouTube channel. We gave everybody a rangefinder. But stay tuned. Coming around April, we're going to be releasing a random golf club version of this rangefinder. It is the most beautiful rangefinder I've ever seen on planet Earth. And I, as you know, I haven't traveled any other planets yet. I've done a lot of countries and states and towns, continents, hemispheres. But I've never left the planet. And I was just talking to someone who said that that's on their bucket list. It's not on mine. I don't share that. But on this planet, the Random Golf Club Rangefinder will literally blow your mind, but it won't blow your wallet. The Rangefinder for everyone, people. Enjoy it. All right. Whoop, folks. Whoop. W-H-O-O-P. I think you know what I'm talking about. You've seen Rory wearing it. You may have seen me wearing it. And I'm pretty much into this wearable device. Wearable technology. Wearable. I like it. At first, I was like not sure if I was going to like having this thing on my wrist, but I'm into it mostly because of the incredible amount of information that it gives me about me and my life and how to perform better. Like I'm not going to ever be some amazing athlete, but I do like getting this feedback from my body. So basically, it has inside of it this crazy light that reads not only your heart rate, but all sorts of other things about your body, mostly the the time in between heartbeats, the heart rate variability, that's key. Um, anyway, it provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep and how recovered your body is and how much stress you put on your body throughout the day from your workouts and the normal stressors of life. Big key takeaway, walking 18 holes, that's a workout, folks. No joke. Um, so anyway, when I get up, I look at my whoop score. I try to see how I slept last night. Uh, and I've tried to incorporate takeaways to get better sleep and, uh, especially when traveling and stuff like that, cause rest is really important and, uh, the quality of sleep is really key. So, you know, it, it has all these, you know, suggestions for getting better sleep. The biggest takeaway is consume a lot of water. Um, also I've started exercising more. This thing plugs in great to all of my exercise routines and I can see exactly where I'm at, at my, uh, max heart rate. 
Um, it's got a built-in feature with a strain coach that it gives you target exertion goals and workout to work out optimally for the level of intensity. Um, it basically is a personal assistant for your working out. Um, and folks, big deal for you guys. They're offering 15% if you use the code EAL at checkout. That's 15% off WHOOP.com and enter EAL at checkout to get your discount. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with WHOOP. Uh, it's got it's custom tailors to your body. It takes like a like a little bit of time to get to know you, and then it knows you, and it's fun because I've got a lot of friends that use it, and we talk about it. I'm like, yo, what was your sleep score last night, bro? And basically, it's how early did you go to bed and how early did you wake up and did you get distracted while sleeping? Um, it tracks all four stages of your sleep, slow, wave, REM, and light, and when you wake up, and it can tell you how much sleep you've actually gotten down to the minute. So it's like the first thing I do when I wake up is I just check it and I'm like, yo, what, how did we do last night? And I can tell, I can notice the difference now. And it's kind of like that awareness wasn't really there before using the whoop strap. Um, the whoop journal allows you to track the decisions that you make during the day and the impact that those have on your recovery. And basically guys, whoop can help anyone perform better, whether it's preparing for a golf match. Yo, yeah. Race meeting, etc. Whoop can help plan out your day and make smarter lifestyle decisions to help you feel better than ever. And I can say I have definitely improved in a lot of areas there, whether even now when I walk 18, like I feel better, you know what I mean? And I think part of that is you're just focusing on your body's performance. And this is the tool that gives you the insight to do that. So please go check it out. Support the people that support us. Whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P, enter code E-A-L at checkout to get 15% off. Hey, it's Clark Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. Um, I, I will, Let's get into, you know, there's an interesting parallel here between, you know, the project that you proposed and what and my experience with the subject matter which is you said you know we want to what, what what do you remember what you said to me like what what the goal was i mean did we accomplish the goal actually i mean the film is done so if we didn't i don't know what to tell you it's locked and loaded but what was the uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. what was the original goal i think i think the brief was i want to tell the history of the open in a 15 minute film i mean that that was roughly the brief you know we've got 100 and nearly 170 years of history that sounds hard and i'm already done (laughs) i i want to um i want to actually take a moment here um and i have it would you be okay paul if i play some audio from the film so so we were tasked with taking a 15 by the way i have actually just just to just to point out some um you know, facts and figures about the making of this film. It, it's been a year. We, we worked on this for a year. We, we shot it about 11 or 10 or 11 months ago. And I think the reason why that's important is not because, uh, we didn't spend any time working on it, not because it was some five hour film, not because it demanded a lot of locations, but because really I, I admire, Paul, this film is only as good as you forced it to be in some sense. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you watched, I mean, how many cuts have you watched of this thing? 
uh, I think we're on V13 or something like that. And that's probably just the Vs that I've seen. <laughs> yeah, but even within that, you've watched the cuts multiple times. I mean, you have probably spent 10 hours just watching this film over and over. And we've had longer durations. We've had 20, 25 minutes. We've changed things. I mean, and, and a lot of it is actually archival footage. Um, I think, let's see, we've got a trailer. Should I play the trailer or should I play the open history? What do you think is better? Um, I think the open history is probably more suitable for, for audio because it's, it's mostly voiceover, right? So. Okay. All right. So th this is, this is, you're going to listen to something here and it's, again, it's a film. So, so it's, this is, it's much better when you watch it. Our editor did an incredible job of making this this really heat up. So I'm just going to play a little snippet of it so you can get an idea of what we're talking about. The Open was first played in 1860, 160 years ago. An entertaining event with the best players in the land playing for a small group's enjoyment. What's happened over the last century and a half? Well, the world was a much different place then. Life expectancy was less than half of what it is now. There was no such thing as a car, and people traveled by train or horse to the golf course. The automobile would be invented in 1886, and just eight years later, John Taylor would win his first Open championship. By 1935, the Open had been going on for 75 years, and though it wasn't popular yet, the television was cutting-edge technology. Just two years later, Harry Varden, who won more Open championships than anyone, passed away in 1937. In 1949, the Open Championship was held at Royal St. George's, and Bobby Locke won his first of four Opens. His prize, 400 pounds, which is less than a new driver costs today. When I think back on the event, golf fandom was in its infancy. With television barely covering golf, this was a true in-person spectator sport, with crowds literally huddling around the greens and tee boxes just to get a glimpse of the action. The Open in 1949 had a 36-hole playoff, with Bobby Locke holding on to the victory. Most people had to wait for newspaper articles to come out the next day to relive the moment. What wasn't written about that year was just three months later, a young man was born in Kansas City who would go on to become synonymous with the world's oldest golf championship, Tom Watson. Gene Sarazen, at the age of 71, made one of the most famous aces ever during the Open at the infamous postage stamp, forever solidifying his and the whole's legacy with golfers everywhere. And it also proved that at the Open, age is just a number. More than 40 years after lifting the claret jug, Gene Sarazen was still delighting the crowd. And then, in 1975, a legend was born, who would go on to join the ranks of Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus as men who changed the sport and brought it to the masses. So here's where things start moving quickly. Golf balls and clubs begin to rapidly advance, and the game gets bigger in every way. The Tiger era was upon us. Cell phones, email, social media, streaming live broadcasts. The golf world looks nothing like it did back when the red belt was being handed on to the press book. And the title comes up and says, what does that little title say? A Brief History of the Open with Eric Anderson. Dude, Paul, does that? Can, could you hear that? Yeah. It gives me chills. <laughs> It's still, it's very cool in audio. So I just hope people tune in and watch it in video because <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is great. And I, I know the point you were making before, you know, we've, we've back and forth on this a lot. And obviously we're very busy. You're very busy. It's took a long time to get to the place where we want it to be. But I think 
you know, I'm really, really pleased with how it's turned out. And, and I think it was worth all the extra work, you know, we'll say, well, I'll speak for you. It was the wor worth the extra work that was put in by, by your team really to get it to this place. And obviously it's been a collaboration. I've um, helped out where I can, I suppose. Um, but, you know, the creative, the creative uh, direction has, has come from you and your team. So, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great film and, and hopefully everyone tunes in to watch it. Yeah, I think they will. I mean, it really, for me, it was a, an opportunity to kind of do two dreams. One is, you know, for me, a dream job is to have the RNA say, we'd like you to, you know, focus on what we do and 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 here's what we're looking we we need to tell this story in it to because on some level you know young young fans they're they they know the open from the last couple of years you know and the truth is there is a tremendous amount of history that in a sense you know has to be told it's it's almost like a fish hook like like the more you know about something the more interesting it becomes and the more you care about it and you know, so in some ways, you know, obviously, you know, the the players, like like if you take someone who doesn't know golf and you have them watch a golf tournament, they don't know who anybody is. So the stories don't mean anything to them. But, you know, these stories, as you go back in time, the Open, unlike a lot of tournaments, the story is the history, is the places that have been played. You know, uh, you know when I played Royal St. George's this year, thinking about Darren Clark in that, in that in incredible weather and in that incredible story, it came to me. Like I was thinking about it, you know, you're, you're essentially, um, you know, hiking through the same puzzle that they hiked through and, and in Scotland and in England and Ireland, uh, you have and the, the Island of Ireland, you have the, the wonderful experience of walking through these, these gardens that they've, that they've walked through and experiencing. I mean, when I went to Troon, my head almost snapped off because that could be some of the best golf I've ever seen with um, Phil and Henrik. And Tom Watson even said the same thing. We did an interview with Tom Watson for this film, and that's coming out in full on our channel. And you know, it's an it's an excerpt in the the film itself, a brief history of the Open. Tom Watson said that Phil and Henrik's match was better than his and Jack's, and I mean. That just blew me away because much humility there is there for, for a guy <laughs> yeah. who's won five opens. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, I think you know going into the project itself, the film is uh, what's our, it's like a twenty minute film. Um, you know, it it was interesting to me because we we really started to uncover something that is probably known very well in uh, within the RNA and within golf historians, especially concerning the origin of the Open. But we uncovered this character that, by and large, 99.9 .9 golfers out of 100 will never have heard his name. And yet, in, in, in large part, his, his life and his death is ultimately responsible for the origin of the Open, for the creation of this tournament that we now watch every year and and people call it the british open <laughs> you know what i mean like like his little life in prestwick is responsible for this can do you, what have you what have you learned about this man so you're talking about alan robertson right Eric? yeah so i don't so i don't get this wrong <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> it's not uh, a quiz yeah. so alan robinson was um i suppose you could say he was the original champion golfer 
Yeah, I mean, his, his name, you won't find his name on the trophy or um, he, he's not classed as a, a winner of the Open, but it was his life and death which really sparked the creation of the Open. Um, everyone, he, he was the, the best golfer around. He was, he was considered the first professional golfer, if you could class someone as a professional golfer in that era. Um, and it was considered that he was the, the best golfer in the land. Um, and then essentially his death in 1859 sparked uh, a quest to find the new champion golfer who is now the best golfer in the land. Uh, and that, you know, the line from the film is, and so the Open was born. And, and, and that is essentially what it was, uh, 1860. Um, the, the members and committee of Presswick Golf Club decided to host a tournament to find out who the new champion golfer was. Uh, and that was the, the first Open. It, it it would be like I mean it's it's here's you got to remember like 1850s there's no tournament there's not really even media in the way that we know there's it's not really important and and ultimately it's a very localized experience I mean the first open had oh am I going to get this right please the first open had eight people eight people yeah and they played on a 12 hole course Prestwick which is now 18 holes and they played the course three times in one day. They played twice, they had lunch, and they came back and played again. And that that was it. So, you know, what we have here is not just a story of professional golf, not just a story of any of one person, not just a story of a of of the winner's share of of, you know, whether it's a belt, which originally it was a belt that looks a lot like a, you know, a boxing belt and it's red leather and that's framed in Prestwick. And you know, it's not just any of those things. It's the story of kind of how we lived, the story of community, and and really, the Open more than any other tournament is actually just the story of golf. I mean, it really, it really now has become this incredible major. But in the beginning, it was just eight people going out and and playing a little tournament. I mean, I mean, there were people watching for sure, but it it's just it's hard to really clarify for anybody listening that like it 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 was a community event and you know i think when when we when we go into the global world that we live in now and our community is made up of every country um represented i mean to think if if alan robertson could have said wow the first swedish golfer to win the open is going to be henrik stenson like his head would have been completely just frozen like like why would there be a swedish golfer competing in this tournament that we're doing it's crazy. It's so long ago that it's it's really quite hard to for 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 me to to comprehend what what it could have been like. But obviously, you've seen the photos, and you, you, I think you've seen the minutes as well at Presswick Golf Club, Eric. That um, that that sort of give you a little look back into history. But yeah, I mean, to, you know, if only we had footage of, <laughs> of back in the day just to see what it was like, I suppose. But you you could imagine that it was. You know, uh, you know, half a dozen people, twenty people, grouped around a green, watching watching these guys put out for for to to call themselves the champion golfer. It is quite it is quite mind blowing. Yeah. We uh, in the film we got a chance to speak with the secretary at Prestwick to go through the minutes of the Open um, as they go back in time and to see the scorecards. Um, you know, and you know, Prestwick now. If you visit Prestwick. 
the layout has changed from when the open was held there. And, you know, there's just, you can see the little scorecard written in pencil and it just says Tom Morris and you can see the scores and, and they wouldn't write the scores down with numbers. They would use hashes. So, and there was no par back then either par would, it was irrelevant or they called it bogey. You know, they, so they would basically say, now I'm going to get confused here, but ultimately we, we need to do a podcast on this at some point, but the, 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 the suggested, score would change based on the weather and the wind and things like that. And, um, they would, anyway, they would write their score down just in a little line and then line, 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 that's a three line, 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 that's a four. And they would, and you'll see this in the film. We have images of this going, going back through history. Um, I think really, you know, um, we started to talk about Alan Robertson with Ken at Prestwick, the secretary there. And the, and the secretary is, am I, am I right in saying that they are an elected position within the club? Is that right, Paul? Uh, I'm not sure at Prestwick. I think, so the secretary of the RNA is, is Martin Slumbers, who's also the chief executive of the RNA. So I think it's different at different golf clubs. Um, right. So I, I'm not actually sure how Ken came by that position. Secretary is essentially um, a member of the club that um, is is in some senses responsible. It, it's secretary means something different in the UK than it does in the states. I mean, secretary is it seems like they're very involved in the history. Uh, they obviously have a, uh, a, a a vocal in the running of the club and and how it's you know managed and things like that. Um, so anyway, we, Ken and I talked a lot um, about the origin, and we and we started to talk about Alan Robertson, and really, it 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 actually uh, made a lot of sense to me later on in our experience of filming. So so we came to Scotland last year, and we filmed for this project for about a week, and um, it really clicked for me when we went to the um, RNA Museum, which is just behind the RNA Clubhouse there, and just behind. Um, you know, the, the 18th green, it's this beautiful, um, museum where you can, I mean, it's a, it's a absolute must visit. You get, um, you know, up close look at, you know, the, the Claret jug, you get, uh, a lot of videos, photos. It's, it's a really wonderful walk. And I mean, part of me was like, wow, I would, I would like to make an experience like this one day. You know what I mean? Like it's a visual, it's, it's a, it's a space that you can walk through. There's life-sized photos of Poulter and his, you know, outfits through the years. Um, you know, there's, there's like multi-screen video, uh, you know, uh, like pieces. It, it's really an incredible visit. And, and lucky enough, we went into this like back room that is, you cannot go to, uh, do not ask, don't say Eric went to this room. Can I go? But we got to go to this back room and Hannah took us, we put gloves on, we went into this room and it's like the perfect, it's like a, it's like the perfect temperature for archiving these, uh, you know, papers and clubs. I mean, there was hundreds of golf clubs in there. We, I saw, um, uh, Alan Robertson's golf ball that he made for himself. You know, back then you had to make your own golf ball. Nope. Cause golf balls, they didn't come down from a production line. They didn't come from, you know, they didn't come, you had to make it and you had to make your own clubs. And when you say Alan Robertson was the first professional, what that would mean is he made clubs and he made balls 
and then he also played golf. And that was a professional golfer back then. It was merely that they had created a job within golf and it wasn't their side hobby. So, so anyway, we go back into this room, this archive, and, um, you know, when we, when we, it's so secret that we weren't even allowed to show the routing of how to get to this room. This room is very secret. Don't, do not ever ask me where the room is, but you know, it, it is filled with incredible, incredible icons and, you know, um, products of the game going all the way back to this era. And in there, we see, um, a, a, a piece of writing about Alan Robertson and about how he's, his passing basically created a call for the Open, a call to find the champion golfer of the year. And interestingly enough, these gentlemen who were seeking the champion golfer of the year probably had no idea that that would be uttered into microphones around the world to millions on a Sunday in um, July, you know, they probably didn't know that. And I think, I think that's the interesting thing about the project because we were trying to tell this story in a, in a digital format, 15 minutes, but we probably could make another, you know, 20 films easily on these individual stories. You could make a, you could make a documentary just on Alan Robertson, Eric's point. Giving Paul a thumbs up. (laughs) But, you know, you could, these stories have so much, there's so much to tell there that we probably weren't able to go into in the depth that we'd maybe want to in these films um, that, you know, certainly we'll look to tell in the future. And, and it's just interesting. It's just interesting how we, we, how you tackled it in the film, Eric. I think one of the, the, one of the things I kept mentioning the initial brief and the initial conversations that we had was we really wanted it to feel, feel like a journey of discovery for you. Like, because from what we'd seen from Adventures in Golf and some of the content you'd put on your own YouTube channel, the best stuff that we'd seen was you making discovery while filming. And you can't really cheat that, right? You can't, (laughs) you can't, you can't cheat. um, You can't fake that, that sense of uncovering something. And I think I can't. Yeah. And you know, you obviously knew a lot of the open story, but I genuinely don't think you knew the Alan Robertson, how, how influential Alan Robertson was to the whole story. And I remember you saying to me, that's, we've got it. That's Alan Robertson's the, the hook to this thing when we came out of the museum. Um, and I, I remember that quite vividly. So it's interesting to see that that actually now makes a big part of the film, or, you know, a proportion of the film in the final, final version. Yeah, I mean, I'm always fascinated by... Um etymologies you know when I when I when I learn where a word comes from it teaches me so much about what that word actually means and what it has meant through history and how we've changed through history or whatever the same is true with the history of things right like like it's a little bit more complex but you know going to uh the graveyard by the St. Andrew's Cathedral back there you've got a lot of relevant grave sites and you know obviously you have old and young tom but probably probably just a hundred yards away you've got alan robertson's grave and to think that wow the, the this this spawned that is is really remarkable and and in some ways it actually makes me zoom out and think about you know uh, a problem leading to solution and you know i think a lot of times uh depending on my mood how much sleep i got or what time zone i'm in 
sometimes a problem can cause me to kind of recoil and I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't, I, I, this is a problem. This wasn't the plan. This wasn't the way it's supposed to be. And in some sense, th this is an example of a problem where it's like, okay, the, the Alan, Alan was unequivocally the best golfer. No one ever beat him. He never lost a money match, like undefeated. And yet his passing created this other question which was needed to be solved. It created a problem. Oh, geez. I mean, well, now we don't. Literally, there's guys sitting at the red lion right across from Prestwick, and they're saying, huh, so who is the best? I'm the best. You're the best. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know. I guess we need to create a new tournament that doesn't exist yet because they've done money matches. They've done caddy games. And at the time, this is when a lot of the, the a lot of the matches people would see would be sort of these exhibition matches or caddies playing each other or you know whatever it was this had never been done in any form of golf any any part of the world i mean this is before there was a golf course in the united states this is and and now <clears throat> you know based on golf course volume america has the most golf courses in the world something like eighteen thousand. this is this tournament was before there's even a golf course in america so golf is a very different game at the time anyway all that is to say sometimes a problem can lead to a better solution and lead to like a new kind of way of looking at whatever it is we do. And, um, so in some ways it can be a good thing. I mean, I'm trying to think of if we had any problems with production or with editing on the film. I mean, I think we shot a lot of things that we didn't end up using. I think that was kind of interesting. Like, like we found so much incredible archival footage that I just felt less and less like these things that we had shot just didn't you know it was it it was really in a sense the, one of the first projects for me of where it's almost like I'm actually in in a sense I'm almost holding the camera for you like I like it's not so much about me being like here I am at Royal Troon this is where Phil and Henrik had their match you know it's it's more like I'm going back to my roots as a documentarian and saying Here's a story, like when you watch any, I don't know if you're familiar with Alex Gibney, he's one of my favorite documentarians, or Werner Herzog. These cats are never in the film. They're not like on camera saying, hi, welcome to my movie, swipe up, please subscribe. You know what I mean? Like they are telling you the story from behind. It's almost like a puppet master. You don't, you don't see their face, but they're doing the voiceover. They're writing the story. They're making sure that the thread of narration is clear. And in some sense, that's really my favorite part about this film is that it's not really about, it is about me uncovering things like you just said, and you can't fake that. But in some sense, it's almost like more about th this story is not about me. And that was kind of an interesting transition because I think a lot of times I've gotten caught up in you know the work that we do is it's like, can Eric break 90? Can we do this? Whatever it is, it was a really wonderful opportunity to really flex that muscle, which is storytelling, but not me telling you a story. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a balancing act, right? You, you know, the reason we engaged you in this project is, is A, because you're a good filmmaker and we like the way you, think you did things, but also you do things in a different way than maybe we would do it if we made this film in-house or if we hired a different production agency to, to create it. Um, so we obviously we were always keen that you were, you know, it was your journey, but it was about you taking the viewer along that journey with you. And I think you did a really good job of of getting that balance right of 
you know, you in situ and on location with getting across everything that we needed to get across in the 15 minutes because, you know, like we say, almost 170 years of history, uh, sorry, 160 years of history, um, you know, boiled down into 15 minutes is a tough, is a tough gig. Um, it's, it was hard. It's, it's, in, it's interesting, like, as well, you know, we back and forth a little bit on what, what should go in the film, what shouldn't go in the film. And um, that, that passing of time, you know, we cover off the first 10, 12 years quite, quite in, in quite in a little bit of detail. So Alan Robertson, young Tom, old Tom, we cover that off. And then there's like, right, how do we get to 1970 where, not where the, the next set of stories start, but where actually the footage really, you know, we really have footage from 1970 onwards and we wanted to bring in obviously the Tom Watson stories. Um, it's how, how you cover off that amazing amount of history in, in a short period of time. And, uh, it, you know, I think when people watch the film, they'll see that we did that in a really clever way. Um, so, so yeah, absolutely. So it was a difficult job. So all this is to say, <clears throat> you need to watch the film. You need to watch A Brief History of the Open with Eric Andrews Lang. Um, it is on, uh, if you go to uh, theopen.com and you join the One Club, which is free, and it allows you to access um, this film and a host of other films, we will be posting a couple snippets of the film, but to see the full finished film, which if you don't, see the full finished film i mean i would invite you to find another podcast to listen to just to be just to be totally phil i would be real i would feel really i'm kidding you can still listen to the pod but you should just go do this and then is there anything else associated with the what what else is going on i've never asked you about the one club and and the one club is not new tell me about that i don't really know too much about that no the, the one club is the open membership program um and it offers people primarily priority access to ticketing. So if they want to get tickets before anyone else can, um, that you can get that through the One Club, but it also ex offers a lot of exclusive content. So on theopen.com, we've got every official film back to 1970. So nearly 50 official films on there. We've got uh, every episode of the Chronicles of a Champion Golfer, which are amazing documentaries with the greatest players that golf has seen. Um, and if you haven't seen those, you know, absolutely well worth a watch. So wait, just take a sec there. So these are incredible films. These are what they're like 20 to 30 minute films about the, about that tournament. And they just dig it. There's, there's nice long form interviews that are produced after the tournament. There's the bra. I mean, it's just the broadcast. It is a full visceral experience. It's almost better than the tournament itself. If you would, if you would, that's the official films, but, uh, and the Chronicles of a champion golfer. So the Chronicles of a champion golfer, are essentially the life story of, I think there's 18 episodes up there now. Um, the life story of 18 champion golfers. So we've got tiger, we've got Jack, we've got Tom Watson, we've got Patrick Harrington, Darren Clark, Rory McIlroy, Henrik Center, all these guys, it's their life story. And, the story of them winning their open or their multiple opens, what drives them. It really is incredible, uh, incredible uh, films. And, um, you know, maybe we don't do a good enough job of, of, of promoting that they're there, but um, I would urge any golf fan to go and watch them because, you know, some of the stories of how these guys came to be what they are are just 
incredible. And also we see, you know, we see some of the difficult times that, that some of the champion golfs have faced and, and how they've overcome those or how those some, in some cases, those difficult times have overcome them. And they've, you know, some of them have ended their career in, in, you know, almost before they would have wanted to. And yeah, there's some, some great programming on there. So it's all free. Um, the one club is, is all a free membership. So literally you just have to go on, give a few details and sign up and, and you're in. Uh, and we're going to be looking to build on the proposition a lot in the in the coming uh, weeks and months to to offer even more content up there. So um, this is this is a great starting point as well. Yeah, I love it. Um, well, while you guys go on to theopen.com and sign up for the One Club, we're going to end this podcast. Paul and I, I think Paul, we should talk about making a film called a not so brief history of the Open, and that could take us two years. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, look, there's, I think there's so much more stories to be told and, and however we end up telling those stories, I think um, this is a great start. And for anyone who's not familiar with the Open's history and the open story, I think this is a great way into it. Um, uh, and it provides a, exactly what it says on the tin, a brief history of the Open. There's a lot more to uncover. Um, but I'd just like to, you know, thank you, Eric, and the, and the team for putting in so much hard work on it. Because, like you say, it has been a long time in the making, and uh, we've probably we've probably well overshot the brief that was originally put forward. But um, I think it's worth it, and I, I hope that everyone enjoys it when they when they get around to watch. Yeah, I uh, I know they will enjoy it. I know that they will. Hopefully, they'll watch it twice. I mean, because I mean, we've I've watched it hundreds of times. You've watched it hundreds of times. Just watching it twice isn't that much to ask. Um, anyway, no, but Paul, it's really been an honor for me and, uh, you know, I'm just so excited that what we made is something that is real. You know, it's, it's, it's very, very real and it's cool and it's, and it, and it creates a feeling. And ultimately that's the only reason why I made, I don't make videos so that you can know how long the first hole of Troon is. I, I make videos so that you can feel what it's like to go there. And, um, I appreciate the opportunity and, you know. Um, all right, enough, enough uh, backslapping. Before we go, though, we need to talk about the Tom Watson moment. Oh, I mean, that was an incredible moment. We, you're you're we, totally we right. To talk, we need to talk about that. Um, well, I, I'll set it up and then you can describe it. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, okay. So, so we, we obviously, we got an interview with Tom Watson for the, for the film at Royal Portrush um, whilst you guys were over and I think you maybe interviewed him for half an hour or so before we went outside to to chat with him um, in the 18th in the bowl at the 18th around the grandstands, uh, and you and Tom were reminiscing about 1977 and the jewel in the sun and him and Jack, um, and it just led to the well, it's absolutely the highlight of the film. Um, it, it, well, it is. I mean, it's it's a it's a really everyone who's watched it has gone that that moment was incredible and i remember you saying to me afterwards like wow but anyway i'll let you um describe yeah. it better than i can you, you teed me up well there this is an easy story to tell so well first off we um yeah we do this uh 30 i think it's actually a 40 i think it was like a 43 minute interview inside which is a which is a pretty long interview um and it's not a podcast right like a podcast is like casual whatever you don't really care this is like we're seated at the desk in the upstairs uh, dining area of uh, Royal Portrush. And we're, you know, it's, it's, I'm nervous. And 
You know, I mean, like, I get nervous here and there, but like, I mean, Tom Watson, you know, you're just like, I don't know. I don't, I just don't want to come off like a, like an idiot. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to get a fact wrong. Was, was Tom the biggest name golfer you'd interviewed at that point? Or was it, is that hard to say, but. Um, I don't know if he was the biggest, but he was definitely like, it was definitely different primarily because this was one of the first things we had shot for the film um for the brief history of the open so that was one part of it also technically we were really you know trying to trying to push up our technical like so it's not just like a vlog like it's not just that we put a camera on the table and said talk this was like multiple cameras audio running you know i mean it's a whole thing and but but also it was just like his level of stature within this world was very large. So, you know, he's synonymous with the open, you know, it's like there's, 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 there's a lot there in my head. And, and, you know, it's also, it's also, you know, it's different to interview a young guy who's like, you know, it's interviewed different to interview Justin Thomas. Cause he's just like, you have the same vernacular, you know, this is, I don't know. I don't know. Who, I don't know what Tom Watson wants to talk about. I don't know. Does whatever. Um, and, and so we had this long interview, which was, you know, whenever you step out of a long interview like that, it's it's um, like it's there a, a stage of decompression because you're really, at least for me as an interviewer in a situation like that, you're you're on camera, so you're you have to look interested, and and no matter what they're saying, even if you know what they're saying is like kind of veering off into like we're never going to use that, and I only have so much time with this guy, so I gotta like steer him into things that are compelling. Um, and that didn't happen really, but you know, you, you're, but at the same time, you've got to think about what to ask next that dovetails into what they're saying now. And I do all my interviews with no notes. So I don't have like a piece of paper there. I'm not like writing down notes while they're talking. It's a, it, it, and so there's this like push pull of mental energy. Like I'm listening, but I'm thinking it's exhausting. Anyway, we break, we, I feel very excited. I feel very good. I, I slam a glass of water. We walk outside. And the idea is we're going to go just film us walking over to the 18th green. And uh, at, at the, it's probably a 300-yard walk. So it takes like, you know, a couple minutes, maybe maybe even less. And But on the way, it takes us like 20 minutes to get there because on the way, he's just like walking up these dunes. And he's like, see, I could get up and down from here, you know. And he's like, that's what made me, a, a you know, a, a force on the golf course. He's like, I could just get the ball up and down from anywhere, you know, and like, I was seeing images of him like in my head, like with the, with the sweater, you know, and just like, just like he's standing up on the dune with like holding no club, but he's just like, he's just hacking away into this, these, uh, the, the gorse there, the, uh, the, uh, the Heather, you know? And then, so we walk under the, um, like there's that tunnel that goes into the 18th at Portrush kind of into the, the gladiator grandstand. If you want to quote adventures in golf episode one, um, you know, we go, we go into this 18th area here with and any, and we're standing there and he goes, he just kind of stops and we've got two cameras running and we've got audio going and, and I'm just chuffed. You know what I mean? I'm just like, this is incredible. And he goes, he goes, let me tell you a story. And I was like, huh? Like, okay, let's go. Like I'm, I'm ready. And you know, it was, it was, <laughs> I mean, it, it made its way into the film in such a wonderful way because he basically tells me the story of beating Jack Nicholas in 77. And it's not about that, though. He tells a part of the story that I would imagine a lot of people who have even studied this tournament don't even know. 
He tells the story of golf in its form of a polite and 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 it's it's not even polite is the word. It, it golf is a game that is you you um oh I'm actually at a loss for words, but he uses the term respect. Respect in the film. That's what the term Tom uses. Yeah, I, I was thinking of golf as a game where you must consider your playing partner or your opponent, and and consider consideration is like, in a sense, it, it, it's respect. Yes, there's a there's an element of like brotherly respect. It's a friendly respect, even within some of the most fierce uh, competitions that have taken place to date. There is an element of, and it's happened with other people too. Like even Tiger has done the thing where. He doesn't leave the green so that the other person can putt in peace. You know, because once Tiger leaves the green, hundreds of spectators go to the tee. So he just stands there and waits, and then, you know, there's more time. So he he tells a story of respect where basically he's got uh, – Tom's basically uh, got to make a five-footer for par to win the Open. And – uh Jack has just sunk a 30-footer to, obviously, we're on the 18th green here, um, to, like, a, he calls it a jet engine roar. And we have footage that we spliced into this moment of of Tom telling me the story and then, you know, seeing the footage, and, and it's incredible. And basically, Jack's, uh, Tom is settling into his five-footer, which is, I mean, got to be pretty terrifying, if I'm being totally <laughs> honest. It's got to be totally terrifying. Tom settling into this five footer to win the open and everyone's still cheering for Jack's 30 footer that just went down. Cause if Tom misses the putt, then it goes a tie and then, you know, playoff Jack raises his hands and basically tells everyone to stop cheering. And Tom's account of it is the place went immediately silent. Tom putted, he made it. And then Tom goes on to tell me and reenact the second part of the story, which is Jack and Tom walking off the 18th green. Jack puts his arm around Tom's shoulder, and therefore Tom puts his arm around my shoulder, and he gets his head right into my ear, and he says, I gave you my best shot, and it just wasn't good enough. And (laughs) I mean, like, so I'm over here, like, I mean, I'm like, cradled in Tom Watson's body <laughs> and he's reliving a moment in time that's sealed in all sorts of history books and archives and I'm listening I'm Tom Watson and he's Jack Nicholas and we're walking off the 18th of Portage. I mean that was you know I'm thank you for reminding me of that that you know because I see it on the screen and I'm looking at it from a filmmaker's perspective I'm not similar to how you when you walk to work up up uh, up the 17th and 18th you you see it as just your walk to work rather than the, a place where champions and golf have been born. I see that scene in the film as just a scene in the film. Uh, there's a technical thing I don't really like that. It's like I wish I'd, I could have done it this way. You know, ever perfectioning things. But you're right. That moment as a human was in, was incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think you you walked off arm in arm down back down the tunnel, and there's sort of a long sh- there's a long shot of it, and then you sort of came back on your own and went. I think that was the highlight of my career or something, something, <laughs> something to that effect. Uh, and it was, it, I mean, it is a special moment in the film and it is a genuine goosebump moment. And, and the way that uh, Tom Watson tells the story is just, 
it's like it was like it was yesterday you know when you look at the and I don't know how many times he's watched that footage back but when you look at the footage and how he told the story and how you guys put it together it's just like he was he could have been watching it and describing it it's yeah. like it's it's that succinct it's it's crazy that was yeah that was that was an incredible incredible day i remember that i just was like what just happened because it all was unplanned as well which is a great part about the filmmaking that we do is we plan a lot and then we don't plan a lot and these unplanned moments just are so incredible um to watch them unfold and be a part of and be documenting it so that we can share it with others so please um you know Go to theopen.com, sign up for the One Club, watch this film. I'm very proud of it. I can't wait. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm proud. Will, will people be allowed to leave comments on the film when they watch it? Um, there isn't that functionality on the side, but we may, we may put up, um, we may put up a, some sort of email on the, on the description. Otherwise, if people just want to leave you comments in the, in the, in the trailer, because I know we're going to be trailing it a little bit next yeah. week then people can leave comments either on the opens channels or the, or yeah. your channels. And we can, we can see what people think, but, but I'm sure everyone's going to, I'm sure everyone's going to love it. Everyone's going to love it. You don't need to comment because I already know you loved it. I'm glad you enjoyed the video folks. Thanks for watching it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for your time, Paul. And thank you so much for the opportunity of a lifetime and for your diligence throughout and everyone, please take a moment to uh, check out this thing that we've been working very hard to make for you. Thank you, Eric, and uh, stay safe and stay well, and hope to catch up soon. Very soon.